Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Men of Valor podcast. My name is Casey McCauley. I want to thank you guys for being part of this ministry. It's a joy to see men of valor loving Jesus, serving each other, pointing each other to the Lord. And we see this week in and week out through our harvest groups. Also, where we come in together and pray for each other at our men's prayer breakfast. And when we serve together here in the church, it's just a joy to be a part of and a blessing to see. Well, hey, in our podcast today, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 19. And it's in this chapter that we see three scenes. And a common theme in each of them is that Jesus is greater. And that's our title. Jesus is greater. You may have seen the logo of a popular Christian brand that shows he is greater than I. It's a comparison using the greater than symbol, you know, the alligator math. So think back to elementary school with this math symbol and think how we can put that simple symbol before anyone or anything in this life. Jesus is greater than you fill in the blank. Or maybe you've heard of the Christian ministry, I Am Second. They record video testimonies of believers, many who have come from various backgrounds of success or struggle, and they tell their stories of how Jesus is greater than themselves, that they are second, Jesus is first. And we see these truths all the way back in Acts 19, where there's a worldview conflict going on between who takes the rightful place of prominence in our hearts and lives. And of course, as believers, we know that it is Jesus. But we get the unique view of seeing the Apostle Paul preaching this message. And the Apostle Paul kicked off his third missionary journey by arriving in Ephesus, which was located in the western part of Asia Minor, and it was the center of the occult. And as he always did, he went around teaching and preaching about Jesus. And yet he's doing it in this unique cultural context. Chapter 19, verse 8 says, that Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And then once he got kicked out of the synagogue, he moved to a classroom during its closed hours and he taught there. And verse 11 says that this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You see, the gospel was spreading. As Acts 1.8 reminds us that the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Like we've seen in the book of Acts, the gospel goes forth and it makes a difference, whether for a revival or for a riot. And interestingly enough, in this chapter, chapter 19, we see both a revival and a riot. The first scene is in verses 1 to 7, and we see Paul in Ephesus, where he goes and he meets a group of 12 men, and they're described as disciples. But upon further dialogue with them, asking questions, seeing where they're at spiritually, Paul comes and, and sees that they had not received the Spirit. It was clear they didn't know the entire gospel message. As our Acts Part 2 workbook says, like Apollos in the previous chapter, this group only knew about John the Baptist's teaching, which indicated repentance and anticipated the Messiah's coming. But they didn't know Jesus was the Messiah, and they hadn't received his Holy Spirit. And so, like Priscilla and Aquila with Apollos, and now with these 12 men, Paul is able to explain the gospel message in more detail and point them to Jesus. As they were familiar with John the Baptist, but not the full gospel, I think of how these men came to faith. 
It was all that John the Baptist pointed to, that there was a greater teacher, a greater baptism, a greater way, and of course, that's Jesus. As John the Baptist said himself in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Or as the NIV translation says, he must become greater, I must become less. And then at the end of the chapter, we read about a riot that was started by this guy named Demetrius, a silversmith who was in the business of making silver shrines of the goddess Artemis. And this was an issue of, of course, idolatry. And that the message of Jesus was threatening just his business, of course, and then also this false religion. And in verse 34, it says, For about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. As people turn to Jesus, you see, they would realize that Jesus is greater than Artemis. That Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his message, his empowerment, his purpose, his hope, his strength, his grace is greater. And so we see this conflict of worldview. Who is greater? And of course, our message is Jesus is. And then in the middle of the chapter, the middle scene, we read about an amazing transformation, which I want to highlight here in our time together. And verse 20 really summarizes all that happened. Verse 20 reads, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is a summary statement that Luke provides here. And it's also reflective of two other times in the book of Acts where this was stated. The first occurs in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. After the persecution of the church, it says the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Then in chapter 12, we read that after James was killed, Peter was imprisoned and freed, and Herod was judged, that verse 24 says the word of God increased and multiplied. And here we are again, now in Acts chapter 19, for the third time, this summary statement of God's advancement of the gospel, that the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. What a great summary of the gospel work, the empowerment of the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul takes the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And a few of the things I want to point out with this theme of Jesus being greater is really seen in this middle scene here. And the first thing we see is that Jesus is greater than the spirits. And what a great contrast to the, the cultural elements that are happening there in Ephesus. And we read about it starting in verse 11. And it says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke, or which is to call on, uh, the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Verse 14 says, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. You see, in the ancient world, it was a very popular idea that healing power could be magically transferred to another person. Such people were very superstitious. And God even used this culture's train of thought to show that Paul was from God. That these miraculous things that were happening were from God. As a tent maker, the Ephesians would even take Paul's work material, like his sweatband and leather apron, and touch people with them, and they'd be healed. The evil spirits would leave demon-possessed people. 
Now, obviously, the materials that were used were not holy. They had no power at all, but it was a holy God who showed himself to be all-powerful. So don't let any commercials or televangelists on TV tell you that you can get a holy hanky. That's not what is going on here. You see, these were extraordinary miracles, mighty works or manifestations of power. They were not ordinary, nor could they be duplicated. It was the Lord's doing, not man's. You see, the focus is on God, who healed the people physically and through the preaching of the gospel, restored them spiritually. It says God was doing extraordinary miracles. Who was doing it? God was through Paul. And that's important to note. See, as God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, the seven sons of Sceva got jealous. They wanted to try and copy what Paul was doing. So what did they do? Well, they tried to imitate it. They realized that their own magical powers had failed them, but that the words Paul used were effective. They treated the name of Jesus as a magical spell or charm, but they neither had the right to use the name of Jesus nor the power to command the demons. You see, when the truth of God is going forth, the enemy always sends a counterfeit to oppose the work. Satan imitates whatever God's people are doing because he knows that the unbelieving world cannot tell the difference. We read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. Paul writes, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. So obviously such actions are foolish and useless. And now we see... Speaking through the voice of his human victim, we read in verse 15, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all in the name and the Lord Jesus was extolled. Wow, what a scene. They went from exorcists to shriekers really fast. You see, but they used this word. The evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. And this word know means to know by experience or acquired knowledge. And it said, Paul, I recognize, which means to know by reason or prolonged attention. See, the evil spirit knew what was up. He knew about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He knew that Jesus is all-powerful and that no one stands a chance against him. But he also knew that Paul was being used by God and that they didn't want to mess with him. It reminds us of Colossians 2.15 that says, Christ disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Maybe this gives us some perspective when Paul would later write to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, about our spiritual warfare and our need to put on the spiritual armor of God, the full armor of God. You see, the evil spirits, the demons, they knew that Jesus is greater. As Christians, we know that the devil and all demonic forces, along with the godless world system that's opposed to God, they're not an equal match with the Lord. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Bible commentator Warren Wearsby says about this, Had this exorcism succeeded, it would have discredited the name of Jesus Christ in the ministry of the church in Ephesus. However, God used the scheme to defeat Satan and to bring conviction to the believers who were still involved in magical arts. Instead of disgracing the name of Jesus, the event magnified his name and caused the word of God to spread even more rapidly. 
You see, Jesus is greater. And he demonstrates that by using his plans and purposes to bring glory to his name. It says that fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. To extol is to lift up and to magnify is to make big. You see, the name of Jesus was lifted up and was made big because of his greatness. That Jesus is greater. And we see this further in verse 18. That Jesus isn't only greater than the spirits, but he's greater than self. It says, also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging or revealing their practices. They came and they confessed their sin and confessed their practices. They came and confessed that Jesus is greater. Of course, their practices included secret magic spells, sorcery, interpreting signs, engaging in black magic or casting charms or consulting the dead, the things of the occult. And evidently, these people all joined together in repentance, publicly confessing that their practices were sinful and wrong. And by doing this, they were saying that they wanted a change of life, to stop practicing evil and to start practicing godliness by pursuing Jesus. Their actions show us that Jesus is greater than self. They once used to identify as people who practice these evil things. That's what they were known for. That's what they were recognized as. That's what they found their identity in. But today, they made a change, and they find their identity now as Christians, to be followers of Jesus. You see, the, the culture of Ephesus was steeped in idolatry and superstition, sorcery and the occult. And we must think of what dominates our culture, our society, and how can we fight against those things and show today that Jesus is greater than all of these things that are prevalent in our society and our culture today. You see, as Christians, we are to identify ourselves by who we are, not by what we do. That Jesus is greater than self because he takes our sinful lives and gives us true life. He changes our identity from being sinner to now being saved. And the Ephesians not only show that Jesus is better than who they were, but that he is also greater than even the stuff they had. Look at verse 19. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came out to 50,000 pieces of silver. The verb tense of the word came indicates that the people kept coming, kept confessing, kept showing. They did this in the sight of all. There was no confusion as to where they stood. They turned from their sin and they wanted to get rid of it and they burned their books. It says that the collected value of the books amounted to 50,000 pieces of silver. Well, how much is that? Well, it's estimated that it was equivalent to 50,000 days wages for an average laborer. Wow, that's a lot of money and who knows if they could have sold that and used that or whatever, but they counted the cost. They said following Jesus is worth it. And they, by burning their books, broke off every connection they had with them. And they wanted to never return to them again. A clear indication showing that Jesus is greater than all of these things that we are giving up. That Jesus is greater than even our sin. And I think of how the Apostle Paul summarizes this in his own life when he would write to the Philippians in chapter 3 where he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Brothers, may we be reminded by Acts chapter 19, by the life of the Apostle Paul, that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is greater than even our sin, that Jesus is a greater Savior than we are sinners, that Jesus is greater at saving than we are even at sinning. And that's because in being greater than our sin, Jesus promises to forgive us from the penalty of our sin. He promises to set us free from that sin as we look to him. As he says in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So as we see in this chapter today, in this narrative in Acts 19, that Jesus is greater. And as verse 20 summarizes, may the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily in your lives, in our church, in our community, as we show the world that Jesus is greater. God bless you, brothers.